I call this, I predict. And I will make some predictions. I will make some statements, and that's later on. Uh, but I, I want us to open our spirit. There's a reason why we have 365 or 366 days in a year, and then we come to a landmark, and we are saying, what, what is God saying to us? And I try to open my spirit to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I want to make some statement. You know, God deals in the affairs of nations and individuals. God is dealing in your life. God is dealing in our city and in our nation. Jesus said in Matthew 16, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather. For the sky is red, and in the morning there will be a storm today. For the sky is red and threatening. You know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you are unable to discern the signs of the times. So he's speaking there to religious leaders, and he's saying what's really going on, you, you see certain things, but you don't see what's really going on. You know, it's easy. It's not hard to look at the sky today. I can tell you all kinds of things. We are living in a world that's increasingly polarized. It's getting more and more divided, more and more division between people and groups of people. We're living in a world where the geopolitical situation is changing. It's good to, we don't usually mention that from this pulpit, but there's no doubt about it that uh, that uh, nation like China is arising mightily. We have known that we have traveled the world. I see it all over the world. When you go to West Africa, East Africa, wherever you go, uh, you, it, it's not Canada, it's not United States, it's not Europe who's building the universities and the highways and, and building the airports uh, and, and building the hospitals. Uh, and so there's another superpower arising. And there's certain dynamics to that. But you don't need to be a prophet to understand that that's that's like seeing the the sky you understand that we see that there that there is a military buildup we see it you know we, we see it just the last two days uh, when uh, President Putin asked for a meeting with the American president and we are not fully clear what he said we heard what the other side said so we can imagine we can imagine there's we hear about it on the in the South China Sea we hear about it all over so so again you don't have to have some great discernment to understand this we, we understand that financial pressures are coming to people uh, you know, the way our governments have been spending money, you just can't do that without prices going up. How many have noticed that when you go shopping? You don't need to be a prophet to understand that. But to discern our time is a spiritual exercise. So we can make some observation about what we see. You know, the last time I stood here in a New Year's Eve speaking was 2019. Most of us had never heard the name of this virus. And I was looking at what the Spirit of God put in my heart to talk about two years ago today. One of the things I said is that I, I predict there's going to be a, an increasing erosion of the gospel inside the church. I wasn't talking about society. I was talking about inside the church. And just this month, I saw the following. Amazing. Here, here it is. 
31% of Canadian Christian leaders disagree with the idea of sharing the gospel with non-Christians in hopes that they might receive Christ. We were talking about leaders of evangelical churches, charismatic maybe, I don't know, but certainly what we were calling the, in the born-again genre by Alpha Canada, 31% of those disagree with sharing the gospel in hopes that people might, might come to Christ. It's happening. It's not happening at the Toronto Celebration Church. It's not happening at World Impact Ministries, but it's happening. It's happening. Our eyes are open. I also, two years ago tonight, I spoke to you very urgently, and we had seen at that time the enormous effects of fentanyl and opioids and mental ills and the amount of people dying. And I said, as much as we have seen it, it's going to be an avalanche. I didn't know about this virus. I didn't know what we all know today from the newspapers. We see the statistics from British Columbia to Nova Scotia. Every province has their own about the amounts of death, how many people die every day, every month uh, of these social ills. And I want to remind you again today that we are called, and maybe because of all the lockdowns and everything, our calling is to be a lighthouse in this city as we even are in the world. And we say yes to that. I said two years ago that we are going to see freedom of speech under attack like we have never seen before. It's shocking. Uh, Bill 21 in Quebec, that if you work for the government, you cannot even wear a cross around your neck. Amazing. Who would have ever thought in Quebec, we, we, in some ways, because of the influence of the Roman Catholic Church, we could say that's the most religious province in Canada. You know, we are in a place right now where we had something in Parliament called the anti-conversion bill, and, and so it would be very difficult if someone came to Pastor Nathan and said, I wrestle with my sexuality. Can you pray with me, Pastor? Can you talk to me? You know, some are interpreting what happened in Ottawa. Maybe that would even be impossible to do. But I want to tell you something that's really good about our church. We are not about in the business of changing people's lives anyhow. So we are not doing therapeutic treatment even of gossipers. Never mind of your sexual inclination. Uh, that, that's not, we have discovered something completely different. So many people, even some of are doing it in a foolish way, they believe that they're going to change people's behavior. I never thought I could change anybody's behavior. I never thought I was such a good pastor that I could put you under a microscope and, boy, I could just squeeze you till you change. So that's not our philosophy anyhow. We're not changing people's lives. What we do, we preach the gospel, and we say, come to Jesus. And then we, we say that with a warning. We say, now, whatever, whatever thing is going on, don't blame me when Jesus starts to dabble in your life. You know, you pin that on Jesus. I never thought I could change you. I preach Jesus, and if you come to Jesus, and in the course of you walking with Jesus, he begins to speak to you about whatever it is he speaks to you about. That's not our problem. We rejoice in that. That's between you and Jesus. Oh, praise God. So I feel, you know, I don't like this new law, but I said, all right, there's some food for thought. 
You know, then, then last year, we didn't have a service here. And, and I was talking to you, and I was trying to explain to you that, that and saying to people, explain to partners all over Canada and the United States and the world, and saying, we got to keep preaching the gospel. So I had got this, uh, what seemed like a crazy idea, that we could do a whole gospel campaign on social media, on YouTube and Facebook. Now, it is spoke against everything I believe to be sensible, because when I go on Facebook, you know, if I see a video, I don't want it to be more than 20 seconds. And then I want to go to something else. So I thought, we're going to have at least an hour, because we cut out the music because we noticed we lost viewers when we did the music, so they wanted to hear me preach. And so we had testimonies of healing and salvation. We have full sermon. We have invitation to receive Christ, to receive follow-up. We pray for the sick, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a full-length service. But I thought, that, that we got to do something because I just can't sit still and do nothing. We can't just sit still. It's because we are locked down. We got to do something. So we set a goal. What if we could reach 100,000 people? Well, we did that. Then we said, what if we can reach a million? And I remember last May, I said, oh, I feel we could reach 12 million this year. Boy, I thought I was really taking a step of faith. But by August, we had reached 12 million. And when I say that, 12 million had participated in a full campaign. So I said, well, let's go for 30 million. <laughs> I thought I got to shoot high enough uh, that, that, you know, God's got to help us. Well, I have the result. I put it up on the screen. If you have it there, Ema, I have the result. Here's where we are as of Christmas Eve. Look at this. Look at this. Oh, okay. Well, there it is. The total number of people that heard of our campaign or watched something is 221,101,944. But don't clap yet. Don't clap yet. The real big number is the next one. The number of people who participated from the opening word to the closing word. They heard everything. 34,457,059 individuals. And these are from what we call unreached language groups. These are not campaigns in English or in Spanish, even though we love our Spanish friends. We might have to do one there. Look at languages like Bengali. Everybody say Bengali. You know, I've tried my whole life to go to Bangladesh and to West Bengal. It's very difficult. The government don't give you permits to rent a stadium. Look at that. 8,576,018 individuals who speak the Bengali language have participated in a full campaign. Oh, praise God. Look at the other. Look at the other languages there. Tamil, Swahili, Hindi, Arabic, Vietnamese, Indonesian. Give the Lord Jesus a hand. I guess I'm just saying this because sometimes, you know, preachers are just talking. We want to do this and we want to do that. And then six months later you say, well, what happened? Oh, oh now I'm on to something else. I want you to know that our theme and our motto and determination is if we say we're going to do something, we ask you to give money to do that in the name of Jesus. We will do everything in our power. And this costs a lot of money. We will do everything in our power to do what we say. And so let's be a people of our word. Can I hear an amen to that? Oh, get a little bit excited with me here. I tell you, here's some of the things that I see. I see that the charismatic Pentecostal religion is running out of steam. I see that. I think a lot of churches are running out of steam. I think we have replaced our core mission with all kinds of other schemes and activities. And that's negative. 
But there's something positive. It's also a setup for a spiritual awakening. I'm a student of history. If you go back 125 years ago, there was this great hunger among Christians. It was like they didn't know what, what to do. And that resulted in an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We know it as the Azusa Street Revival, but it happened in other places. And it spread to millions and hundreds of millions of people and caused a wave of harvest of people coming to God. So whenever the pendulum swings so far and there's a dryness and a staleness, you know what? It's going to swing back. And I believe it's going to be in our lifetime. I can think about the 1950s. That's a long time ago. Some of you don't remember that. I don't remember it myself. So, you know, but I know from history that it was a very dry time. That Pentecostal movement had become so legalistic. They were all worried about the women wearing hats and they had all kinds of rules. And then God shocked shocked the Christian church by baptizing Lutherans and Catholics and Presbyterians in the Holy Spirit and they were speaking with other tongues. And then our, our particular breed of Christianity, it was getting a little stuffy. We were getting a little bit stuffy and a little bit dignified. And then just about when we did, we thought that we had it all together, God began to save hippies smelly, long-haired hippies, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they put them on the front page of Time magazine. I'm telling you, our God is a God who has shocks, and I can feel it inside. I want to say to you, I'm not saying it's this year or whenever, but something is about to break loose. Something is about to happen because that dryness has swung so far. We are ready for an outpouring, a refreshing of the Holy Spirit. And don't be surprised. Well, be surprised, but don't reject it. Because it'll never happen like you thought it would. Probably in our time, you know, God will begin to work through some highly unlikely people. Turn to your neighbor and say, that could be you. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you think that that could be you. He'll start using the people that nobody expected. That's the way it's always been. You know, when I see our society, I see a rage in our society. People are angry. Angry at the government. Some are angry because the government is doing too much. Some angry is not doing enough. We argue about gender and race and money and and angry thoughts become angry words and angry actions and angry movements. We, we argue about vaccine and anti-vaccine and we, we, we are demonizing people. You know, I see a rage among believers. And I'm going to show you in a moment that anger is not all bad. But there's a certain kind of anger, the one I call rage, that's, uh, that's not of God. Passions flare. You know, sometimes I want to say to you, I know some of you are so passionate. You're so passionate about vaccine or anti-vaccine. You're so passionate about it. But I want to remind you that one year ago, you weren't passionate about that. You were passionate about Trump or no Trump then. But that's the past now. That, that was the thing a year ago. Is Trump God's man? Is he, is he the one that's going to save us? Is the only one that stands between us and hell is Donald Trump? Some felt that and some felt that those who felt that were crazy. We, we were all stirred up about Trump. But now we kind of forgot that. Now it's, and I, now it's vax or anti-vax. Oh, it's the, big, it's the antichrist. It's the devil. It's this. And, and I promise you, next New Year's Eve, it'll be something else. Because this. <laughs> so, 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 so. Now, I want to read to you from the Bible. 
Now, now you may think you know this verse because you've heard it quoted, but I, I will uh, challenge you a little bit. It says in Ephesians 4.26, be angry. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Then it says in verse 31, same chapter, let all anger be put away from you with all malice. Now that's very strange. Now I know sometimes a preacher quotes this verse as a wedding, counseling the couple, be angry, but just before you fall asleep, say a prayer and confess your anger. But I was thinking, is, is that really what it means? You know, especially in the summertime when the days are long, sun rises at 5 o'clock and sets at 10 p.m., you can do a lot of damage with anger for all those hours. You could kill several people in that time, I promise you. So is that really what it says? That be angry, go at it, be as angry as you want to, and, and then, but just say a prayer before sunset. Is that what it says? And then, but then the next verse says, let all anger be put away. So that would mean nighttime anger and daylight anger. So it seems, are you with me? Now, I want to submit something to you, and you can study out the Greek words here that are used, that there is a destructive, ungodly fury and rage that is with malice towards God, towards ourselves, towards others. Let that be put away. But there's another kind of anger, and, and really if you look at the, that word used there, it's, it's kind of a righteous indignation. It's a God kind of anger. It's a passion. Could it be that with the, I'm just submitting it to you, we're not arguing over the scripture, but just since you've heard it, the other rendition a thousand times, hear me on this one. Could it say, be angry? You're supposed to be angry, but don't sin. Don't have that destructive anger. And don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't, don't, in other words, don't let the sun set. Keep being angry in that godly kind of anger. Don't let the sun go down on it. And, and, because if you do, you give place to the devil. But that destructive anger, that anger that gets us all, and I can feel it. How many know that you can feel it? I can feel it. Pastor Nathan can feel it. Sometimes he calls me and says, I'm so angry, and there's something going on in the world, and I say, I'm angry too. And then I talk to Tina, and she's angry. And then I talk, we talk to Megan, and she's angry. And then I talk to you, but the Bible says, you know, don't let that anger be your focus. Put it away. But there's another kind of anger that is quite healthy. Do you know that God gave you a temperament? Use it. I put that on the screen. Sin did not create your temperament. It just perverted it. And, and, and without the right kind of anger, it seems here, we give place to the devil. You know, it says like this in 1 Samuel eleven six: the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and his anger was greatly aroused. Wow, well, you said, I never thought. I thought when the Spirit of God came upon you, you'd smile all the time. You'll be this nice little pastor twiddling your thumbs over your belly button and looking. No, you know, there's a certain manifestation of God's Spirit that arouses your indignation. Well, the Holy Spirit comes upon, came upon Saul and his anger was aroused. He saw the negativity. You know, so we're looking for people of conviction. We're looking for people with passion. And, and I tell you, you're in the right place. 
If you say, I don't have a lot of passion, I don't have a lot of conviction, well, you've come to a place where we do, and we will help you, and we'll stir one another on. We, 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 we just hate defeat. We are against defeat. We are against deception. We are against anything that hinders people from receiving Christ. Just like David couldn't stand Goliath, we can't stand uh, whatever the enemy is doing. We are for what God is for. You know, Jesus in us is temperamental. So we say, oh, sweet Jesus. You've seen the pictures. Jesus with a big heart coming out of his chest. And he looks with long blonde hair, which I don't think he had. But anyhow, he, he looks so, so lily white, Jesus. You know, so, oh, Jesus, Jesus. Ooh. And, and of course, he is sweet. He is sweet, Jesus. But Jesus is temperamental. Oh, I've, I, I don't know if I have to preach this a little stronger. Jesus has a temperament. He says in Hebrews 1, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So Jesus, he is full of love, but he hates deception. He hates whatever is against the righteousness that he gives, and he's full of joy while he's doing it. So it's not this snarly, I'm mad. He is laughing and rejoicing and happier than everybody even as he's indignant oh praise God that's what we are you know we 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 can have the most you know sometimes when I'm the mood stirred up I have a beautiful smile but you know God gives me that smile and and even oh uh, even even presidents can be melted you know when I when I want to have my way you see so, 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 to love something is to hate the opposite you know, I, I love Tinas. If somebody tries to hurt her, I hate that. If anybody tries to hurt, hurt, our, uh, hurt our church, I hate that. I, but we, we fight against it. If there's somebody being hurt, I hear about some member in the church that, 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 that's, that's being crushed by something. We hate that because we love everyone that God has brought our way. That's why we love healing. But we hate sickness. We don't want sickness. We don't want you sick. We don't want you sick. We don't want you hurting. We want you healed. We love healing. We love the truth. We love the gospel. We hate deception. We love the light, the light of God. That's why we hate what darkness is doing in people's lives. People who are you know, taking these uh, fentanyl or whatever, which is just even two milligrams can kill you. 50 times the strength of heroin. We hate that darkness brings people to that place. We love the people, but we hate that. And, and so the Bible says in Proverbs 8 that the fear of the Lord causes us to hate evil. You know, let me read about Jesus here. Don't worry, I'm coming to the predictions. Uh, John 2, he says, He found those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changer's money and overturned the tables. Here you have sweet Jesus. <laughs> Can you see him? He just goes in there. He's tying together a whip. And he goes in there and he just kicks the table. And then he kicks another one. Probably picks one up and throws it at the Pharisees. He says, well, I, well, could that be my Jesus? That's your Jesus. That's your Jesus. What is he upset about? He's upset at those Pharisees who are selling, what did he say here? Doves and oxen and sheep. Because what they did, they had this trade going that if you wanted to sacrifice in the temple, you had to buy a specially blessed oxen. 
You have to buy a blessed sheep. And guess what? The blessed sheep and the blessed dove by the Pharisees and the priests cost a lot more money than the ones you got in the marketplace. God never said you can't just sacrifice any, any animal, but they had set up this religious system that made it difficult to approach God. And, and we are against that today. We are against all these man-made uh, scaffoldings that it causes people not to be able to come to God. And we say we want to kick it over. And sometimes when you hear me preach, you say, or Pastor Nathan, you say, oh, you're really going at it? Yes, we are really going at it. Because we want to kick over those tables and we want to say there's a red carpet rolled out for every man, woman, boy, or girl, whosoever will let him come and receive the waters of grace, the waters of life freely. Come, yes, as the prophet said, you who have no money, you who have no bread, come. If you're thirsty, come and eat. Come and drink for free. Come and receive the fountain of living water. Oh, praise God. That's why we, we, we get stirred up about it. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you get stirred up. You don't just stand there doing kumbaya and, and this is, you know, you just, oh, I feel so good. Yeah, you feel good, but it takes action. You know, Jesus is the same with healing. They wanted to stop him from healing somebody. And he says about Jesus, here's about your sweet Jesus, Mark 3, 5. He looked at them with anger. Oh, he said, you're devastating me, Pastor Peter. I had such a sweet view of Jesus with a big heart popping out of his chest. And now you're saying he looked at them with anger, being grieved by their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. In other words, move over. I'm passionate. He was angry that you're trying to stop this man from receiving the blessing that he was born for. I feel that way about you. If anything is going to stop the blessing, if there's any kind of strange thing that I see in my spirit, I want to warn you against it. I said, God has something better for you. God has something greater for you. Oh, I tell you, I believe our best days are ahead. Jesus, he became angry when religion tried to keep people in darkness. You know, Paul, his temperament mirrors Jesus. I mean, I don't know how many people like to have the apostle Paul for a pastor. He was a pumped up guy. At one time, he advocated castration. I haven't heard Pastor Nathan do that yet. Yeah. I haven't heard him yet say, go castrate yourself if you don't like this message of grace that I'm preaching. Uh, I, I, have you heard him? Now? I mean, I, I'm not here every Sunday. I travel the world. Somebody, I, I don't think he has said that. I think I would have received an email. Are you with me? I, I don't think he said, go castrate yourself. No, no, I, I can't see Pastor Nathan saying it. Of course, I don't know what the future holds. I don't, want to, I don't want to take sermon material away from him. But Paul, he says, and this is the nice version, Galatians 5. He said, I wish that those who are troubling you would even emasculate themselves. That's a, that's a nice way of saying it, emasculate. But you get the picture. How many get the picture? In Galatians, he said, if anybody preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. He's using a word that is really never used in the New Testament. And he goes on and says, you, you know, when you, when you try to put religion and make, make that the way, your own effort instead of God's grace, he said, you're perverted. He said, even if, any, even if there was an angel who came right through the ceiling, he says, let him be accursed too. 
I don't want any pretend gospel. I don't want any, any, any gospel that just brings you into self-loathing. You know, there's a certain kind of preaching uh, that makes you just loathe yourself. I was having dinner with a, a Christian leader in our country a little while ago, and they attended church here in the GTA. I shall not say which direction. It's a Pentecostal church. And they were saying, oh, our pastor is such a wonderful teacher. <laughs> you know, when they say that about the pastor, that can mean different things. Uh, and then the wife says, yeah, he says, she's really good at, he can squeeze any ounce of guilt of any scripture verse. He finds us, he squeezes guilt out of it. You know what I mean? It's like whatever verse is quoted is there to make you feel like you're not quite good enough. The preacher is just squeezing another little ounce of guilt. Oh, here where you need to shape up. You know, you're not going to shape up because somebody makes you feel guilty. We are not motivated by guilt. Uh, that, that works for some people, shaming and guilt, uh, shaming people and making them feel guilty. That works on some people. Once you have tasted the new life in Jesus Christ, you are not going to be guilt-shamed anymore. You are motivated by love. You are motivated by faith, but you're not motivated by shaming. Oh, praise God. Uh, blessing, holiness, healing, abundance is not by our effort. And anybody who tried to suggest that Paul got, I mean, he blew it. No, he didn't blow it. He, he lost it. He said, he, he just, you see, there's a passive, detached mental belief with no passion. There's no passion. And it, and it said there in the same sentence, don't give place to the devil. And so I want to say to us this New Year's Eve, that, that we're not about a theological structure of just having a belief system. No, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. Zeal means passion in our kind of language. It, you, you can believe all kinds of things, but the, the, the zeal, there's zeal. The, your emotions are involved. You believe. You have academic understanding. And, and so I say there is a godly anger. We have a godly anger that there's so many people who have yet not heard the gospel. We have a godly anger at what I call Christless Christianity, where we can go on and have church and church, and really there's no revelation of Jesus, the odd quote from Jesus, no revelation from Jesus. So we rise up against that, and it drains you. It tires you. I want to say to you, I feel myself coming here. I sometimes preach, sometimes I listen to Pastor Nathan preach. I feel uplifted, especially during these difficult times. I feel uplifted. I feel we are an oasis. I feel like this is wonderful. It was just good to see everybody. We didn't talk about the thing they talk about. You know the thing. I don't want to mention it by name. You know the thing. Uh, we didn't talk about the thing, the thing. You know, the, how many know the Ting. We didn't talk about it. Uh, we left the ting. We just referred to it as the ting because you know the ting and you hear it everywhere. We don't need to hear it for the few moments we are together here. So thank God. We're saying our God is greater. So even if you feel dragged down, you feel dragged down by the ting. The ting is dragging you down. And then at least we can give you a little push upward. You know, I like this. It says in Acts chapter 16, verse 18, there was this woman following with Paul, and she was saying good things. She was saying kind of religious things. Oh, these are the men of the most high God. You know, sometimes people say all the religious words, but they're so full of death. 
Oh, listen to these men of God. I get nervous when people say to me, Oh, you're such a great man of God, Pastor Peter. I say, What are you up to now? And what is it you are? And, and it was for many days this woman was going and said, Oh, this, this Paul, he's such a great man of God. But it just, it just sounded a little off. He said, There's something weird with this. There's some smoke screen going on. And here it says that she continued this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. Oh, praise God. Everybody say, Greatly annoyed. That's what happens when the Spirit of God comes upon you. In a good, loving, righteous kind of way, you become greatly annoyed. Turn to your neighbor and says, have you ever been greatly annoyed? Say, my annoyance is growing. Oh, praise God. Uh, he got greatly, you know, we, we, would, we have this stereotype, oh, Paul just had such a flow of compassion. Yeah, it was a compassionate annoyance. But sometimes we have a, made a stereotypical view. He says, he was greatly annoyed and turned and said, not to the woman, he said to the spirit, without going into what the spirit was, it was an evil spirit. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Greatly annoyed. So I'm saying I'm calling our church to a great annoyance. I'm calling the partners and friends of World Impact Ministries to a great annoyance. Let's be annoyed with the things that annoyed Jesus and Paul and Peter and all the other things that is one annoyance last year and another one next year. Let's not be so annoyed about that. These things will pass, but let's be annoyed. Let's take a stand. Let's take a stand. You know, there's a picture that I saw. I've seen it many times, but I saw it again, and I... I thought I'd show it to you because it connects in a way. You should put that picture up. That picture is of a, you see that man in the middle there? It says everyone thinks they're going to be this guy when the time comes. But the time came and they aren't. This picture is taken in 1936. It's actually, if you saw the whole picture, there's hundreds, thousands of people. They're all doing the Nazi salute. His name is August Lundmesser. August Lundmesser. He was a Nazi himself. He had joined the Nazi party in 1931 because that was the way that you got a better job and got ahead, and you, if you were in the party, that was a way to further your career. Maybe he believed in some of their ideology. This was taken at a, at a place in Hamburg in a, uh, at a, in a big factory, and Hitler himself was speaking. And, and the reason this picture is famous is because August Lundmesser is the only one not doing the salute. Now, this was before everybody knew about, you know, what happened in the, 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 the concentration camps hadn't happened. The war hadn't started. In fact, it was a good time in Germany. There was a lot of uh, people were employed. People's salaries were going up. The common people were able to buy a car. That was a big thing in the 1930s. So we admire this picture because August Lundmesser is the only one that doesn't salute. You say, well, why didn't he salute? You know why? He was a Nazi. He had he'd been a member of the party for five years. Love had changed his mind. He had fallen in love with a woman who happened to be Jewish. And it changed him. And the story is that both him and 
He was not allowed to marry her. They were engaged, but they had children. They died. First he went to prison, then he was released, and then he, eventually he suffered for it. And the children went on and died some years ago. And so we say, well, I want that to be me. I want to do if, if there ever comes a time when somebody has to take a stand, I want to be that guy, right? But the time comes, and it's different for August Lonmesser. Everything looked so good. I'm concerned. Is there somebody here who say, I'm willing to take a stand for Jesus Christ? I'm willing to. You can take the picture down. It's fine. It speaks to me. Because I want to say, no matter what comes, I am not going to deny my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have pressure in society. You can clap if you want. I have time for a clap. We have pressure in our society. But you know, there's such a pressure that people feel canceled. They're afraid to say anything. Just like everybody did the salute. Because that's what you did. You had to look like you were a part of everything. One man didn't do the salute. That was a lot of pressure. He went to jail later. Ah. You know, in the workplace, I, I heard a story. This is from Europe, but I think sometimes Canada is 10 years behind Europe, and we're going in the wrong direction. Uh, they did a study about Christians sharing their faith in Jesus. I just read you the statistics that 31% of Canadian evangelical Pentecostal leaders, they disagree with sharing their, their faith in Jesus for the purpose of seeing people come to Christ. But just sharing it as information, but not to bring people to Christ. And they did a similar study in Europe, and there was an example of two men working in a factory, both of them members of a church, and we would say a born-again church. You know, kind of a born again. They had worked together side by side for 20 years. And neither one of them knew that the other one was a Christian. That's a lot of pressure. I better not say anything. I better not suggest anything. It's so easy to be quiet. And Jesus says, don't be ashamed of me and my name. No, no, speak his name. And we're going to speak it stronger than ever. I, I'm challenging you this New Year's Eve. And I'm saying that there, there, there's this pressure. Pressure is increasing. I, 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 I tell you, but we're not going to bow to that. Can I hear an amen? This is a good time to clap. You can clap now. And, and so I say, yeah, I, I, I said I predict certain things. Certain things are going to happen. You know, I, yeah, I, I want to alert you. And you take this. You submit it to the Lord. I'm not claiming to be, you know, anything other than what I am. But I, I think we are going to face a geopolitical uh, struggle. And it's going to be what the Bible calls wars and rumors of war. But I want to caution you. I suggest to you the end is not yet. Whatever wars and rumors of war, some people are so fast to say, okay, now Jesus is coming tomorrow. But we've got to balance that with all the other scripture that says that none should perish. And that the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. There's a great commission. There's a great assignment. And our church and the partners of WIM, we have a part in that. I, I, I predict to you that there will be financial distress upon our society, and it will especially affect the most needy, the most needy, the ones who are budgeting for that milk and bread. And I want to say to you today, when that distress comes, that we are the people of God's economy, and God is able to make all grace, all grace, 
not just some grace, not just grace for salvation, not just grace for uh, healing and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but financial grace, all grace available to you that you may have all sufficiency. I like that. All sufficiency. Everybody shout all sufficiency in all things and to be able to help with every good work because he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully and he who sows sparingly, that's not us. Everybody say yuck, yuck, yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. We're not the ones sowing sparingly, but we are sowing bountifully and we will reap bountifully. I also tell you that I predict that this seduction to trust in politics and political leaders as our Savior, it is going to be devastating to the church. I talked to somebody over the holidays from Pennsylvania, and he said to me, I went to one church, and it was, I won't say the name of the church, and he said, that Sunday, the, the pastor in that church, the minister, preached the whole time, 45 minutes, about that Jesus would support the Democratic Party. And then he said, the next Sunday, I went to another church, and there the preacher about that Jesus would have signed up for the NRA, the National Rifle Organization. I said, well, you know, if preachers keep doing that, why go to church at all? Just join the political party then. Why, why, why go to, to, to dabble with the people who are just imitators? Let's join the real thing. But my point is this. It's going to destroy the church. We have a message for the new Democratic Party, for the Liberal Party, for the Conservative Party, for the People's Party, for the Rhinoceros Party, and any other party that arises. We have a message from Jesus Christ, and it's for everyone. Whosoever will, let him come. Oh, praise God. You know, there's, there's more rage coming. There's more rage. I've been talking about anger a lot. More rage. People are going to feel more divided. People are going to feel uh, because they feel betrayed. And it'll be evident. In, I, I predict in 2022 it'll be more evident that the betrayal of those we trusted in. But we, God's people, we channel that passion to what really matters. Hallelujah. And I, you know, I said to you earlier, and there was a prediction, that a year from now we won't be talking about vaccinations like we are now. Just like we're not talking about Trump like we did last year. It'll be something else. And it'll be for or against, and some Christians, how can you, you can't even be a Christian. And then the other one, well, how can you, like this, we get all uptight. <laughs> I have probably, you know, remember what happened with the AIDS virus. They're going to vaccinate everybody against AIDS, but eventually they found other treatments. Anyhow, where I stand in all this, I, I'm like Jesus. Jesus had a traveling doctor with him, Dr. Luke. And then that doctor got a job working with Brother Paul. Meanwhile, they believe that healing is for everyone. So for me, I'm not separating medical science from healing. I tell you, if I, if I, if I need reading glasses, I put them on. If I can see better. And if I see too many wrinkles on my face in the mirror, I take them off again. Whatever works for me. Whatever works for me. I just do whatever works. Because I, sometimes, you know, I put on my glasses there and I, and I look in the mirror and says, you got a hair growing in a funny place at the bottom of your ear here or something. I said, I didn't know that. I hope nobody in church noticed, you know. So sometimes it's better to take your glasses off. Are you with me? 
Okay, none of you have ever done that. Nathan doesn't know what I'm talking about. But anyhow, he'll come to him later. He got a revelation. He's a bit slower in that. He'll come to him, just live long enough. And, and, and so what I say is this, I, I'm, I'm pro-science. Anything science can do to help me. Anything science can do to help me. Now, science is about asking questions and probing and not taking things for granted. But no matter what science does to help me, a lot of things, a lot of things. I got a, had a car get here today. You know, somebody designed that car. I'm glad for all advancements. I'm glad for everything, airplanes and electric bicycle, if you want that, go ahead and have one of those. I'm glad for, you can learn a language with an iPad now. It's amazing. I'm glad for all of this. But ultimately, I follow the scripture. He took our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live to righteousness, by whose stripes we were healed. Praise God. I predict, because God spoke it in my spirit, that we are facing a time similar to Joseph. God said to Joseph, you have seven good years, and then there will be seven years of struggle. I'm not saying seven and seven. But I believe we have a time still, and the Lord has spoken to us, and I speak it to you, to put your house in order, because what I see, I see a vision that the tougher it gets in our country, this church is going to thrive. I have never in my life, not maybe one before we started the church, I have never been as excited about the future of the Toronto Celebration Church. I can sense the momentum rising, even in the midst of all these people stay away and people have to quarantine because somebody in their family, they heard of somebody who had the thing and then now the thing is, you know, they say, well, I can't, I'm I getting all the, but, but you're here, praise God. I've, these are our best days. And, but we are, we are saying even when that, you know, negativity, there will come a day when we no longer can issue income tax receipt. That, that day will come. I hope it doesn't come soon. I don't know when it's going to come, but we're going to be ready when it comes. We are not going under. We're going over. We are staying strong. You know, this, this continued exodus, so many people are leaving church. And you know who's leaving? People who have never had a personal encounter with Jesus. Just, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. I, I hear the statistics, I don't even want to quote them. I don't want to discourage you. People who used to go, they're leaving. And that'll be one of the testimonies of this thing period that uh, people quit. But you know, you only quit because you don't know the head of the church. That's why you quit. No, I don't want to be braggadocious and say, oh, I could never backslide. Any one of us, the Bible says, let him that stands take heed lest he fall. So I would never be braggadocious and say that, that somehow. But I will say this. When you have memories of Jesus in you, it's hard to walk away. Now, if you don't have any memories, you don't have any recollection. of ever encountering Jesus. It's kind of easy. I, I don't feel it. I don't feel like it. I think I'll, I'll, it's easy. So that's why I say we, it's a tragedy, but it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity. There's so many people who don't know that the lover of their soul, the one they hunger for is Jesus. Let's give them the bread of life. I, I predict there's a wealth transfer for the gospel and those who are aligned with it. I, 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 I predict such opportunities. I showed you on the screen 
34 million people plus. We, we looked like we had no opportunity, but, but God gave us an opportunity. We'll keep doing that around the world. I mean, even my dear friend, Brother Alex Bontongo, told me last Sunday, he says, you know, he was with me in Guinea, West Africa, and we became friends with the former prime minister's wife. In fact, she helped Tyne and I a lot, and Alex was there. And, but she was kind of on the way out because her husband was banned from the country. And, and God spoke to me, we should go back to Guinea. There's mostly Muslims there. And here Alex tells me last Sunday that that woman that we know, we have pictures of her. In fact, Tina brought her a nice purse and gave her a nice purse as a gift to the prime minister's wife in Guinea. Now what's happened? Her husband who was banned, he just returned. And they think he's going to be the next president. Who knew? It's always nice to bring purses to people. You never know who's going to be the next president. Come on now. How many know that God works with nations? Are, are you happy about this? Give, give the Lord praise. At a time when many have said, they haven't said it verbally, but they said it in their action. Oh, church is not essential. They said it with actions. We have said with everything we can while not breaking the law, we have saying, we're going to be open. And I'm amazed tonight. I don't think we've ever had more news told us of not gathering than right now. I thought maybe it's just going to be me. At least I can preach to Nathan. We know we need to encourage one another so we could. But you're here. Oh, give Jesus praise. And then I, I just predict, friends, and I hope we're not going to miss it. I hope we're not going to miss it because history tells us that that people miss this. When it comes, they miss it. So when the charismatic movement began, I know Brother Schubert here always talks about how in the Catholic Church he encountered, there you are, I pointed there, but you're there, uh, he encountered the Holy Spirit. You know, the ones who were against it were those who had been Pentecostals. I remember thinking, no, God couldn't baptize those Lutherans in the Holy Spirit because they are a little bit funky on the water baptism, you know, and, and Catholics. We knew for sure that that couldn't be. And they were singing, Jesus, Jesus. I said, well, it feels so good when they sing it, you know. It's like when my friend Pastor Lipius in Indonesia told me, he says, you know, I go to Java. He said, 5,000 Muslims are sitting in front of me. They're still wearing their Muslim hat. I said, we baptize them, and they're singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I said, really? He says, well, he says, you're so busy, Pastor Peter. I would have invited you to come and speak to all those Muslims. Oh, he said, I'm not that busy. I said, I'm coming. And, and then the thing happened, but I'm still going. You see, it's, it's the least, the pendulum has swung. I'm not saying whether it's happening this year, but it's going to happen. And it's just like Muslims like that, they should take their Muslim hat off first. They should, they, should, they should look like us first. That's what God has always done. He's oh, That's what the Pharisees thought. Oh, those smelly fishermen from Bethsaida, what do they know? They haven't even studied theology. So I pray, I pray that in our generation it's going to be a shock. And I pray that TICC and all of us, whim, partners, whatever, we will say, we'll be humble enough. God, if you speak through a donkey, I'll be in the front row. Amen. I, 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 I'm not going to judge. How many know God is bigger than any of us? 
He said, well, they're not cleaned up. They're not, well, you know, the one who, who caught the fish can clean them too. And that's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So I'm saying there's something so Christ-centered, something so transformational, something so empowering that's coming. And I say our greatest need today is to say, Holy Spirit, fall on me again.